Hello and welcome to today's podcast. Today we have another lecture by Neville Goddard, and this lecture was given in 1956, and it's titled Seed Time and Harvest. This podcast um, is a rather long one as well, so I will be splitting it up into two episodes. So let's get started with the first half of the lecture, Seed Time and Harvest. Neville tells his audience, as you have been told, this morning's subject is seed time and harvest. Although it bears the same title as my latest book, it is not to be found in that book, for that book is an attempt to interpret some of the more difficult passages of the Bible. I have given you in the nine chapters in mystical view, and also a certain approach how you yourself may approach the interpretation of the Bible. For, as you know, it is not a book of history. And so when I became aware of deeper meanings in the passages than those normally assigned to them, I began to see them or to apprehend them mystically. And so I have given you a mystical interpretation of many of the darker passages. For instance, when Solomon made himself a chariot of the wood of Lebanon, he made himself, no one made it for him. That's what you must do. That's what I must do. That's what everyone must do. And in that chapter, I showed you the wood is not wood, as you know wood. It means the wood of Lebanon is the incorruptible mind. But you make it for yourself. And we showed you the sides, what they were made of, and what the meanings really are. Then we took that very strange passage, the instruction to the disciples to take off their shoes or provide no shoes when they travel. And we showed you the word shoe is not just the thing I wear on my foot. It is the symbol of the spirit of let me do it for my or let me do it for you. For the shoe takes upon itself not only the dirt and the muck that would normally fall upon the wearer's foot, but it protects the wearer from any contact with the outer world. And so anyone who offers to do for us what we should do and could do far better ourselves is offering himself as our shoe. And if I would awaken spiritually, I must do it for myself. I must take my own mind and control it, take my wonderful imagination and actually control it and set it to noble purposes and not have some intermediary come between myself and God. For the God of this world is an internal God. He is that inevitable force that expresses in outward facts the latent tendencies of the soul. And so, if I would discover that God, I cannot have you do my work for me. I, can't, I cannot have you eat my spiritual food and expect to grow spiritually. So that is really the attempt of the nine chapters in the book, Seed Time and Harvest. But this morning's subject... I scrolled down too far. But this morning's subject, I want to approach it differently. This statement is taken from the book of Genesis, the eighth chapter of Genesis. It is a promise made to man that while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, hot, cold, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. We are told that man was placed in a garden. The garden was completed. Every tree was bearing fruit. Everything in the world was finished. And he was placed in the garden to dress it and keep it. He doesn't plan it. He doesn't do a thing but dress it and keep it. He is not called upon to make trees or to grow new trees. Everything is finished. 
as we are told in John, "I have sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor, for creation is finished. Every conceivable human drama, every little plot, every little plan in the drama of life, is already worked out as mere possibilities. We are not in them, but they are overpoweringly real when we are in them." So man can get in touch with that particular state of his choice, for my imagination can put me in touch inwardly with the state desired. So I am in it. If I am in it, I will realize it in my world. The states in which we find ourselves are the seed time. The harvest is simply the encountering of events, or of events and circumstances of life. But man's memory is so short. He forgets the seed time, but all ends run true to origins. So, if the origin, say, is misfortune, the end will be misfortune. But when you reap misfortune, you wonder, why should it happen to me? When have I set a thing like this in motion? Haven't I given to the poor? Haven't I attended service? Haven't I prayed daily? And why should these things happen? But you see, my God never forgets because He always gives the end in harmony with the origin. And you and I are selectors; we don't make. We are not creators. Creation is finished. The whole vast world of creation, as told us in Ecclesiastics, I am the beginning and the end. There is nothing to come that has not been and is. So look upon creation as finished. And you and I are the are only selectors of that which is. By selectors, I mean that you and I have the privilege. We may not exercise it, but it is our privilege to select that aspect of reality to which we will respond, and in responding to it, we bring it into existence for ourselves. Not knowing that we are so privileged, we simply go through the world reflecting the circumstances of life, not realizing we have the power to create. Or to outpicture the circumstances of life. So now let us now analyze what I personally mean by seed time. If everything is finished and completed, then why the promise there shall be seed time and harvest as long as the earth remains? Now seed time, to those who are here this morning, as we should really know, we are not taking it literally. Our seed time is that moment in time. When you and I react to anything in this world, it may be to an object, it may be to an individual, it may be to a bit of news that we have overheard. But the moment of reaction, that emotional response, is our attitude. Our attitudes are the seed times of life, and although we may not remember the seed time or the moment of response, nature never forgets. And when it suddenly appears in our world, that suddenness. Is only the emergence of a hidden continuity. It was continuous from the moment of reaction until it appeared in the world. Its appearance in the world is harvest. So you and I must harvest anything we desire, but we must first have a seed time. It must be preceded by a moment of response or an attitude. How often you say, "I approached it in the wrong attitude," or "He is in the wrong attitude." Or you must change your attitude if you would get on in this life. I have said it. You have said it. Maybe we have said it to each other, but we know the importance of right attitude. We know this much: 
that I can change my attitude if circumstances, or I can change my attitude if circumstances change. That's automatic. We know that if something happens suddenly in my world, of which up to that moment I was not aware, I, becoming aware of a change of circumstance, would automatically produce in myself a change of attitude. We all do that, morning, noon, and night, but that's not important. That is a reflect life. 99% of the world reflect life. Now, can I consciously, can I voluntarily, can I deliberately produce in myself a change of attitude? one of my own discretion, one that I myself single out, and not one that is determined by or in any way is dependent on a stimulus of a change in the object itself. Must you change before? I will change my attitude towards you. We know that if you do change, I will change my attitude towards you. But must I go through life simply reflecting these changes in the objects? And can I not deliberately determine the change prior to the change in the object? For if I can, I am moving towards complete control of my fate and becoming the master of my fate. If I can assume an active, positive attitude and not depend upon changes in the object for changes in myself. If I can do it, I really am, if not a complete master, I am becoming more in control of the circumstances of life. But 99% of the world waits for things to happen on the outside, and then they reflect That's no accomplishment at all. If we would awaken and become real selectors of the beauty of this garden that God gave us so that we can single out that particular aspect to which we will respond, then we will do it by deliberately changing our attitude towards itself. There's a little fable given to us to show us how it is done. If you will study the fable carefully, you will see the importance of imagination. The fable is the fable of the fox and the grapes. You all know it. When he failed to obtain the grapes, then he persuaded himself that the grapes were sour. And by imagining the grapes to be sour, he evoked in himself a change of attitude. He no longer felt about the grapes as he formerly felt. Now that's a little fable on a negative tone, or a tragic one, or a tragic tone. You and I take the same story, but now we put it on a positive tone. We contemplate our ambitious dreams, our noble concept of life. It may seem we haven't the talents to realize it. Instead of saying that the fox did, that the thing is beyond us and therefore it is sour anyway, we can take the same technique and wonder what it would be like had we realized it. What would the feeling be like were we, and we name it, if I can contemplate what the feeling would be like Were I the man that I want to be, were you the person that you want to be, and rejoice in that state as though it were true, I am producing in myself that emotional response necessary for seat time. Okay, that is the end of today's podcast on the first half of the lecture, Seat Time and Harvest. Uh, Join me next week for the second half of this popular lecture by Neville Goddard.